0: Hi, my name is Brian Landau, and you're listening to The Drip, a podcast about how to caffeinate your campaigns. Today, I'm joined by Shadeh Muhammad. Shadé is Vice President for Representation and Inclusion at Forbes, and we talk about building out a DEI practice at a legacy media company, brand expectations in engaging around diversity content, and why she mapped her role to the CRO and not the CHRO. Before getting into the interview, I want to share an experience that I had creating audio content in interfaith networks. For those that have participated in interfaith work, you know that the conversations are more about social justice, equity, and cultural identity, and less about if and how you pray to God. For this project, I was capturing the experiences of interfaith leaders in audio, and this project is still one of the most formative experiences of my life. But there is a bit of a surprise for me. We created audio because, well, I know audio really well when the project was over, these leaders expressed to me their gratitude that the content was created in audio and not video. They shared with me the relief of not having a hot light shine on them while they shared intimate stories about their experiences. That they liked being able to glance at notes while they spoke as opposed to trying to read off of a teleprompter, or even worse, trying to memorize their segments. But maybe most surprisingly, they felt that they would be heard. That without the video, there wouldn't be a visual bias that the person on the other side might actually hear what they were trying to say. Today, my company works with some of the biggest brands in the world and we enable the creation and distribution of audio for employee engagement and external thought leadership. Frequently, I get asked where a business should start and I almost always say DEI. Audio is the most authentic and scalable way to raise up the voices of your colleagues, employees, and partners. And relative to other content formats like video, the cost of producing audio is pennies on the dollar. If you have questions about how to best get started in creating and sharing audio for your organization or brand, just email me directly. It's brian at venley.co. That's brian, B-R-I-A-N, at Venly, V-E-N-N-L-Y dot C-O. And now, the inspiring Shade Muhammad. Hi, Shadeh.
1: Hi, Brian.
0: Shade Muhammad is Forbes' vice president for its representation and inclusion practice. Shade founded the practice, launched in January 2020, to unite marketers with leading voices to challenge existing systems and processes. In her role, Muhammad brings the full breadth of Forbes' platforms, Forbes.com, brand voice insights, live events, social, and more, to bear for brands seeking to create meaningful conversations with Forbes's audience on the purpose of reimagining systems of inequality and transforming business worldwide. Muhammad formerly served as associate director of content partnerships, where she developed operational practices to drive content marketing strategies with client partners. Prior to Forbes, Mohammed held various roles in marketing and advertising at NBC Universal. Her roots are in journalism, making this her focus at Syracuse University and working at Black Enterprise News as a freelance writer. She also underwent NBC's prestigious page program. In September 2020, she was awarded the International Media News Association's 30 Under 30 Award for achievement in advertising. Thanks so much for being with me. Really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So you're the VP of Representation and Inclusion uh, at Forbes, and it's a role that you effectively created at the company for yourself. you were working in content partnerships. Walk me through how you thought about designing the practice and pitching it to your boss, who's the chief revenue officer at Forbes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, I spent a couple years, few years on the Forbes content marketing team so, working directly with our marketing partners to amplify their thought leadership. And through that work, I saw an opportunity to really weave inclusion into the critical conversations that they were having. So around healthcare, AI, and the future of work, crypto, banking, and more. So that's why uh, you know I approached our CRO at Forbes and said, hey, I'd love to create this opportunity for partners to really focus on inclusion and and do that through all the other great things that they're already talking about but making sure that we put inclusion at the center of the conversation. So really it's about helping marketers use their cultural influence to advance equity.
0: So what are the pillars that the representation and inclusion practice are built on?
1: Sure. So we have three main pillars, systems change, representation, inclusion, and learning and performance. Um, So when we talk about system change, what we're really saying is, let's look at the root causes of a system's flaws and then intentionally redesign it to create inclusion and to re-engineer the the value chain to reward equity as opposed to exclusion, which in many cases, systems are set up to do, um, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Um, then representation and inclusion. So looking at the products and services that companies offer and do they reflect the audience's authentic view of themselves. Um, learning and performance is a third one and really looking at our workforce and the products and recognition of the ways that we you know, kind of learn and perform throughout our careers and lives. So it's perhaps not your typical KPI when you think about marketing and advertising campaigns but we wanted to make sure that our ideals were kind of elevated so that we could shift the conversation about diversity, equity, inclusion from sort of one-time and reactive engagements to longer-term strategic partnerships.
0: So how, how does Forbes and how, how do advertisers and sponsors measure something like systemic change? They're buying into these pillars. So like, how, how do we how do we know if the campaign was successful, if the engagement was successful?
1: Yeah, so I think, Again, shifting the way that you're thinking about a typical marketing campaign, the, the goal is a little bit loftier than, you know, checking off impressions and meeting impression goals. Certainly that can be part of it. But what we're really talking about is cultural currency. The big brands that we want to work with have it. We at Forbes have it. And we are connected to the people that do, whether that's entrepreneurs, policymakers, etc. cetera. So is the work that we put out into the marketplace effectively making a change? That is how we measure success.
0: So there was an acceleration of interest and engagement around racial justice last summer from corporate America. There were some elegant approaches to this important work, and there were some super clear misses. What did you observe across the landscape that worked well, and in what ways can corporate partners improve the work that they're doing in supporting DEI initiatives?
1: Yeah. So without, you know, getting into specifics about any company in particular, I would say the ones who got it right had some sort of baseline um, and understood their why. So they weren't jumping into the conversation because they felt the pressure to, they weren't jumping into that conversation only when there was a, you know, a holiday, like equal payday. They actually were already in the conversation and in in some aspect and being in the conversation doesn't necessarily mean you're out front, right? That's where we want you to be as a, mar- as, you know, a marketing partner to you, but that behind the scenes, you've, you're doing the work. You're hiring um, in ways that are equitable. You're making sure that underrepresented folks are you know, can accelerate your company. From a product development perspective, you're looking at not just the primary and secondary user, but who are we not thinking about when it comes to product development? So all those things behind the scenes, if you're already doing that work, then when you come out front to say, this is what we're doing, this is what we stand behind, this is how far we had to have to go, it actually, you know, lands, um, as opposed to sort of seeming just clunky and, and off base.
0: But there were a lot of companies who were not doing that work. And I think you know, George Floyd in particular was sort of when the dam broke for a lot of individuals in corporate America. And so it came across as reactive uh, yeah. as opposed to like companies who are already doing the work. So like, if you were to coach up a company who's trying to get into the space in a meaningful and authentic way, but maybe hadn't laid the foundation before last summer, what's the best piece of advice that you might be able to offer them?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say start where you are. So that means saying, look, we haven't done the inner work at our organization um, and we're gonna start. We're gonna take inventory of our environment. We're gonna identify and address biases or inconsistencies that exist. Um, we're gonna make co- a commitment to change internally and externally. And I think every company, no matter where you fit on that scale in terms of being super you know, authentic and progressive and inclusive to the opposite of that, everyone has work to do. So I think starting off with establishing your why, what are we jumping into the conversation to talk about? And what are we maybe not? What are we doing long term, month over month, quarter over quarter, to measure this, whatever this KPI for diversity and inclusion may be for you? And what does success look like? So I think a mix of brand values establishing those brand values and then what are the metrics that we're going to come back to and not just leave in 2020 what are they and how do we you know measure against measure our own selves against them as opposed to just what's happening in the larger environment and what other brands are jumping in and saying or not saying
0: it strikes me that there's two conversations that need to happen simultaneously on one hand there's you know the self work that a company needs to do to make sure that they are you know breaking down the systemic barriers that have existed in their corporation and then separately from that there's external stakeholders who are who need to be addressed so you know what's the balance between authentically supporting a movement being exploitive or coming across as being exploitive or maybe just being flat out tone deaf around a specific issue
1: yeah i mean it's unique for every organization but what i would say is it really comes down to does this feel like something we should be doing if if you're grasping at straws and saying you know we want to say something but we have no idea where to begin why do you have no idea to begin again where to begin again not you know to to judge yourself right or your company but to say what's missing do we not have the right leaders around the table Probably not. Are we not, you know, asking the right questions of our employees? Do we do we know what they feel and what their the temperature is and what's happening at a on a team level? Um, are we looking at products from a perspective outside of um, what's what we've been doing? I think what what really has to come across is that representation and inclusion is innovation. So. This is not a one size fits all, we come up with a press release, we send it out, we're safe. Absolutely not. It's what? how are we innovating against inclusion and what does that mean for my company and my customers and my employees? And every company should have a different answer to that based on their unique value proposition that they're bringing to the marketplace. So it's a marketing exercise, just as much as it's an ethical exercise, Um, And I think that outside of the data-driven marketing that we've all become accustomed to in the last few years, this is is different than that. This is not data-driven marketing. This is person-to-person, how are we effectively moving the needle on something that matters as much as making sure people feel included.
0: So representation and inclusion is a super broad topic area, and we haven't spoken yet about topics like gender and sexual orientation, ageism, veteran affairs. There, There's others, the list goes on. Um, do you tackle, at Forbes, do you tackle each topic within representation and inclusion as separate events and programs? Do they live together in some way? It feels like the conversations both should and shouldn't live in concert with one another.
1: Yeah, it, it certainly depends, right? Because when you're talking about what happened in 2020 with George Martin of George Floyd, and really a need to put Black employees and leaders at the front of this conversation and sort of standing alone in the sense of, we're not talking about anybody else right now, we're talking about how this affected Black people. So to dilute that in some instances is, is the wrong decision, I would say. Um, In other ways, there are are areas where it makes sense, where we we wanna talk about ageism. We wanna talk about where that intersects with the conversation around uh, women and ageism. And we wanna talk about how that affects women of color. We wanna talk about um, how the pandemic affected women leaving the workforce and how that intersectionality plays into all of it. So there's um, there are times for intersectionality, and then there are times when we need to say, no, there's we're making a decision to focus on this specific group or experience. And here's why.
0: So we spoke about this a little bit before that a campaign you know with you is not necessarily being measured by impressions. It's a deeper type of engagement. But if I am the buyer of a sponsorship, right? what what is the deliverable? What do I get? What are the outcomes that I get at the end of it? beyond just feeling like I was contributing to an important conversation or is that or is that just what that's that's the win here?
1: Yeah so no absolutely we you know um, we look at impressions and all other metrics that we would use to measure all of our other campaigns so if we're looking at an event when we um, are partnering with with a a corporate partner on an event we're we're still looking at those same metrics in terms of did we reach the intended audience who, you know, who showed up and what did they say? What was the, what was the impact? Um, so that all of those KPIs are still there. Um, we just launched, a, a campaign called Forbes EQ, uh, which stands for equity quotient, which is all about giving nonprofits and underrepresented for-profit business, small businesses, the chance to have thought leadership on our platform. So, that's, you know, we're looking at page views and impression counts and all of that just as we would for any other campaign. So those, all of those KPIs are still there, but what we want is for folks to think beyond the impression number and say, what is this going to do for the way our customers view us and engage with us, feel comfortable, in doing so, our employees who are, who are seeing this—is this going to make them proud to be here? And is this really going to move the needle when it comes to systemic change and equity? Um, and again, you know, when we think about what does systemic change really look like, you know, people, you know, might ask, what does that mean to, to look at systemic change? And I would say, for any system or practice, you kind of look at it from two vantage points. So first, the point of entry. Um, and second, the point of scale or ascension within that system. So for example, if you're talking about venture funding, you know, how accessible is it for a non-white, non-male entrepreneur to gain entry into venture and receive funding? How frequently does that entrepreneur excel to the you know highest levels of that, that industry by standard definitions? If the answer is, you know, it's difficult to enter and, not often does the person excel by standard definitions. That's a step where you can look to create change. So let's look at impressions and and that as well. Let's let's hit on those key marketing KPIs, absolutely. But then let's also take it a step further and saying, are we actually moving the needle here? And those are two places that you can look to see if you're doing so.
0: What's your pitch to a corporate partner? Like okay. why should I invest in you?
1: You should invest because Forbes is really at the forefront of this conversation. When you think about um, a publication like Forbes, which has been around for over a hundred years and has innovated at critical points uh, and also brought audiences to the forefront at critical points. For example, um, under 30, at a time when millennials was a bad word 10 years ago, we created this platform that said, we're gonna celebrate that. And you know, for many it was, well, why? You know, They're entitled, they're this, they're that. And now it's probably one of our most recognizable franchises outside of Forbes 400. Think about Forbes women. We just had 20,000 attendees at our latest Forbes Women summit a decade ago. It was, yeah, you know, we, we think about women, but you know, we don't really have a true strategy here or um, you know, they have their section. You can go talk to them, but there's nothing, you know, concrete or real investment there. So again, when you think about how we've innovated at those critical points, and then also just the cultural currency. So when you think about Forbes The Culture, uh, one of our communities that's under representation and inclusion, it is it was organically formed in 2017 by folks who went to an under 30 conference saying, we're not in the conversation. Where are the, you know, funding's happening here, access is, you know, we're not we're not here as, as black people. So um, it was an organic community that formed, and we created. You know, they officially became part of the Forbes community in 2020, and scaled to you know 2,000 plus members. Why? That's that's where the value is for for us. Is we're saying um, we're out front in these conversations that matter. We don't not that we always have all the answers, but we are at the center of the conversation always. And we know how to connect you to the people and the processes to make the change that you want to make and to distribute it and create that awareness around your campaigns, honestly.
0: You don't have to name names uh, and it doesn't have to be specific within DEI, but what's something that you see colleagues in this industry doing that isn't very good and how would you fix it?
1: Well, I'll say, you know, the reason why I wanted to sit on the revenue side of the organization talking about DEI is because I saw what it could look like from an HR perspective and where where the flaws in that were, where a DEI head is reporting into the CHRO and not the CEO. And that is not ideal. Why? Because DEI is so much more than a retention strategy, a hiring and retention strategy. It really has to run through the fabric of every single team in your organization if it's going to work. So I thought if I approach this from the revenue side, then we can really talk to the folks who are making an influence throughout the company, whether that's marketing, whether that's comms, whether that's product, and go from there.
0: What's something that you're dreaming up Uh, in 2021 and beyond? What's an initiative that you're working on that you're excited about?
1: Yeah, so I mean, beyond initiative. So look, we launched in January of 2020 before (laughs) everything, the social reckoning, the racial and social reckoning, which is important to say, right? And so what we're seeing is that a lot of partners are saying, you know, we don't know what to say yet. And that's, that's why we're here, is to help them create that language And then the campaigns and the programs and the solutions uh, that will move the needle. So I'd say for 2021, it's really getting our clients comfortable in this space. Um, And again, in many ways, we're still doing that coming out of 2020. um, Because we're talking about a cultural shift, not only from a marketing perspective, but in terms of a solutions perspective. Um, And frankly, we're still selling them. 18 months from now, or you know, in 2022, I would hope that they're coming to us and saying, look, this is our strategy, how can you help us meet this? And I think we'll get there, um, but it's gonna take time. And that's why we're here early and we wanna be out front and say, come to us and we will help you develop the strategy you know, with you to, to create this, this change that um, we're all seeking.
0: Sade, thank you for being with me today and for sharing your wisdom with uh, our listeners.
1: Thanks for having me. This was fun.
0: Shade, thank you again for being with us today. If you like this interview, you will love our next episode with Drew McGowan. Drew runs influencer marketing at Cliff Bar, and it is an absolute tour de force on how to best think and activate influencers for your business. Thanks again. And until next time with Drew McGowan.